Yes, absolutely. Thanks to Mitchell and Alyssa. Mitchell is also back here on the guitar this morning, so he's just all over in our service this morning. Uh, appreciate that word on peace and to, to get the chance to get to hear a little bit of the Pebbles story. Well, good morning again. My name is Dan. I am our college and young adults pastor here at PBC. And earlier this week, in our house, we had a, a bit of an exciting morning one morning. The night before, Lindsay and I had gone ahead and wrapped all of the kids' Christmas presents, put them underneath our tree without telling them, and uh, they walked out the next morning to find all of these gifts under the tree. And so they ran over, and Peyton, our oldest, who's five, he's, he's reading off all the names. Oh, this one's for me, this one's for Asher, this one's for Rhett, and it's like, 10 minutes of just kind of looking through all these gifts and just pure joy on their faces. And then at one point, Peyton says, Daddy, this one's for you. And I look and I didn't know, I wasn't expecting any gifts for me under there, but sure enough, there was three gifts for me as well. And just for just a moment, I I felt like what it was like to be five again and, and get to look forward to opening these gifts. I think it was probably every five minutes or so, uh, that whole day that Asher kept asking, is it Christmas yet? No, it's not Christmas quite yet. Now, the funny thing about wrapped gifts under a tree is that wrapped gifts in and of themselves aren't very exciting. Um, They're actually a little bit painful for the kids as they look there and they, they want to unwrap them, but they can't. What makes a wrapped gift exciting is the promise of what's to come, right? The promise that I'm going to get to open this gift And there's something that's inside there for me. That's what's exciting about a wrapped gift. This morning, we're continuing our Advent series that we're calling Good News, Great Joy. And as we go through this series, we're looking at various announcements. First, the announcement about the birth of John the Baptist that we looked at last week. And then four more announcements about the the birth of Christ. And as we, as we look at these announcements, and this morning as we look at the announcement to Mary, I want us to think about these announcements like a wrapped gift, right? There, there's nothing really exciting about the announcement in and of itself. What's exciting is that the announcement is pointing to something that's coming. It's pointing to someone that's coming, and that someone is Jesus. So as we think about good news and great joy, the good news that we're talking about is that Jesus is coming. That's the announcement that's being made. But as we look at these various announcements about the coming of Jesus, we're going to slowly be unpacking what really is the content of this good news. What, What is the announcement that's being made and why is it so special? What is it about this announcement that is supposed to bring us great joy? So that's uh, where we're headed all the way from now up through Christmas Eve. We'll be continuing this, uh, this theme together. This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, looking at the announcement from the angel Gabriel to Mary. And as we look at this announcement, as we think about it as a wrapped gift, there's three specific questions that we're going to try to answer together. The first is, who is this good news for? Right? What's, what's the name on the package? Who, who is this gift for? Then what's the content of the gift? Right? What's the content of the good news? What's, what's inside the package once we unwrap it? And then also, what is our response to this supposed to be? Right? As we open up 
the gift of the good news, how are we supposed to react to that? So we're going to look at those three questions together in our time this morning. Before we jump into our text, though, I I want to highlight a couple of possible dangers, both this week and kind of moving forward. One, for those of us who have been around church for a while, I think there's a tendency when we come to a story that's as familiar as the birth of Jesus that we we maybe start to tune out a little bit or say, oh, I I know this one. I've heard this before, right? I'm familiar with this story. And maybe we we don't read it as carefully as we could or we don't listen as closely as we could. But I believe that this morning, God has a message for you, that God wants to speak to you through his word and through his spirit this morning. So I hope that you can pay attention and listen this morning. And for those of us who are maybe a little bit less familiar with church or a little bit uh, less familiar with the story that we're going to look at this morning, uh, spoiler alert, we're about to hear about an angel telling a young virgin girl that she's going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And and if maybe your tendency when you hear that is to just dismiss it as fiction or to to write it off as unbelievable or say, "Ah, maybe there's a little bit of truth and it's maybe stretched a little bit. I just want to encourage you and invite you to listen as well. Here at PBC, we believe that this book is the word of God and that it's our authority for our lives and it's also true in all that it affirms. So as we look at this story, we want to take it as truth, but not just truth. We want to take it as God speaking to us. And so that's what we're going to do as we look at this passage this morning. So Lord, I pray that as we open your word, that you also would open our ears and that you would open our eyes, that you would speak to us this morning by your word and by your spirit. Lord, would you encourage us? Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? And would you Draw us closer to you this morning. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and take a look at the first of these questions that we're exploring, which is, uh, who is the good news for? Right? Who is this wrapped gift for? Let's start by looking at the first uh, few verses here. Luke 1, verses 26 to 30, where we read this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So as we look at this uh, announcement, there's actually a number of parallels that we're going to see between our, our story for this morning, our announcement this morning, and the one that we looked at last week. Last week, we looked at the announcement to Zechariah that he and Elizabeth would become pregnant in their old age and would give birth to a son named John. As we go through, we're going to see a lot of parallels between this story and that story, but where they're different, that's supposed to catch our attention, and there's going to be a lot of significance in that for us. So as we, as we start this story, we see right off the bat, there's a similarity. There's an announcement from an angel. It's actually the same angel, the angel Gabriel. Angel Gabriel came to Zechariah. Now the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. But that's kind of where the, the similarities stop in this first section. And we now run into a bunch of things that are different. First, the setting is very different. Uh, 
The announcement to Zechariah happens in Jerusalem, in the temple, right? This is the most important place and the most important city in Israel. The, the, the message given to Mary, on the other hand, uh, we find ourselves now in Nazareth. Nazareth is this small town, 50 or so miles north of Jerusalem. And it was so small and insignificant that uh, Luke makes sure to tell us it's in Galilee. Because there may have been even some of his original readers who would have said, Nazareth? What's Nazareth? Or I think I've maybe heard of it, but, but where is this again? So he wants to let them know it's, it's in Galilee. It's this small town, insignificant. We see an angel show up in the temple and we're like, well, sure, that makes sense. We see an angel show up in Nazareth and we're wondering what's going on. And then we think about who this announcement is being made to. The first announcement comes to, to Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. That's one of the most prestigious, highly esteemed positions in Israel. And he's serving in the temple, which was one of the most prestigious and highly esteemed places where a priest could serve. And then you have Mary. When we're first introduced to Mary, we're not even told her name. She's a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. Then we're told, oh, almost by the way, her name is Mary. We don't know anything else about her, but from, from the story, it, it seems like she's kind of nobody from nowhere. She's small, she's insignificant, nothing really noteworthy about her. But it's there to nobody from nowhere that the angel Gabriel shows up. I wonder if you've ever felt maybe like Mary, like you felt small and insignificant. Right? It's easy to feel that way, especially around here. They call it the imposter syndrome, right? You look around the room or the Zoom room, maybe for many of you still, you look around and you're like, oh man, this person is so much more accomplished than me. This person is so much wealthier. This person's so much uh, more skilled. They're, they're so much more significant than me. And then there's just me, just little old me. What am I doing here? And it's, it's dangerous to start to go down that track. We don't know if that's what Mary was thinking here. Well, we're not sure exactly what was going on in her mind. But as we read the story and as we're introduced to Mary, we're just sort of left thinking, this is, this is nobody of, of, of any note. She's, she's just insignificant. But soon we're going to find out that she's not insignificant. In fact, she's quite significant. She has an important role to play. And so uh, the angel comes to Mary and he says, uh, greetings, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The, the idea of being favored is literally the idea of being graced. Mary was a recipient of God's grace. Small and insignificant though she may be, she was the one to whom God was going to give one of the greatest gifts of grace imaginable. The gift of carrying and raising the very son of God. So uh, the angel gives this address to Mary, you're favored, you're graced, and the Lord is with you. Now the, the Greek word for with is an interesting word. It's actually Mark Zuckerberg's favorite Greek word. I'm not sure if you know this. I think it's his favorite word of all time. It's the word meta. Uh, so the, the angel says, the Lord is meta 
you, right? So next time you're scrolling Facebook on your feed, I want you to, to think about this passage and be reminded that the Lord is meta you as well. This is the, the, the message that, that Mary gets. The Lord is, is with me. I'm favored. And as she hears this, she's a little bit confused, right? She, she's trying to kind of figure out what exactly it is that the angel means here, what, what Gabriel is trying to say. And so Gabriel reaffirms himself again. And he, he, he says the same thing over again. He says, don't be afraid. You are favored. It's in this, as we think about Mary, small, insignificant, unnoteworthy, that we, we learn who the good news is for. It's in this announcement that we see that the good news is for the humble. The good news is for the lowly. It's for the broken. It's not for the accomplished. It's not for the significant, the important, the noteworthy, the wealthy, the the, the ones who can do it on their own. The good news is for the humble, for the lowly, the poor, the broken, the disenfranchised, the unskilled, the marginalized, the other. The good news is for those who, who don't know where else to turn, who, who have the humility to recognize that they can't do it on their own and that maybe they need some help. The good news is for those who find themselves down and out, those who find themselves in a low place. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a low place. I wonder if you find yourself in a low place this morning. There's all kinds of different things that can lead us to a low place. Over the last uh, month or so, a little bit longer, there's been three uh, student deaths at Santa Clara University. Two of them confirmed suicides. And, and that's just brought the campus to a, a low place, right? understandably so, as people mourn the loss of their, their classmates and their friends and their loved ones. That reminds me of uh, all of the people who've been struggling with mental health, especially over the last two years, and find themselves in a low place. There's other, other things that bring us to a low place. There's, I know in your lives, things that have brought you to a low place. Perhaps it's a physical illness that has you not functioning at the capacity you'd like to be functioning. Or uh, some kind of relational strife that has brought you to a low place. And all of us have been brought to a low place by our sin, right? The place of not being able to do it on our own. But it's there, in that low place, to those who are in that lowly position that the good news is given. That's the name on the package. And that's there, it's given to us as a, grace, as a gift of grace if we are humble enough to receive it. So that's what the angel comes to Mary to say. I have a a gift of grace. You are favored. You are a recipient of God's grace. God is with you. And then he's going to unpack that a little bit. What really is this good news? What's the reason that Mary and that we have to experience great joy, especially if we find ourselves in a low place? So let's look at our next verses here, verses 31 to 37. Where we read this, this is Gabriel still speaking. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son and is in the sixth month with whom who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So this is the announcement. This is the message. This is the good news. There's, there's somebody coming and this person is Jesus. Now, as we think back to what we looked at last week in this announcement to Zechariah, there, there's again all kinds of parallels that are coming up here, all kinds of similarities. Most obviously, this also is an announcement of, of the birth of a child that's going to be born. But think about Zechariah and Elizabeth. When the announcement is made to them that they are going to have a child, they were, in, uh, they were, they were kind of faced with a problem, the problem of childlessness. And so God addresses that problem and he speaks a word of hope and healing into that, that place of pain and into that place of shame and says, you're going to have a son. Even though they were too old for this to happen physically, naturally, God says, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going I'm to solve this problem that you're faced with. But when the announcement comes to Mary, we're also surprised to hear that she's going to become pregnant because she is a virgin, a young girl, probably 13 years old, engaged to a man named Joseph, but not yet married. And so we're wondering, how, how is this going to happen? But you see, Mary, she didn't really have a problem before this. She wasn't supposed to have any children. She wasn't married yet. And yet, in a similar way that God speaks a word of hope and healing into the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth, here also, Gabriel is speaking a word of hope and healing. But this word of hope and healing is not just directed to Mary. This is a word of hope and healing that's, that's confronting a different problem. Not just the problem of childlessness, but the problem of being lost and needing a savior. It's a problem shared by the whole world, not just this young woman. And so God speaks to her and he speaks a word of hope and healing, not just to her, but to the whole world. Now, this word of hope and healing, this problem that God is trying to address, goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve ate that fruit that God had told them not to eat. And in so doing, they put themselves on the throne of their life and they took God off and they said, we know how things should happen best. We know the best way to do things. And so we're going to do things our way taking God off the throne of their life and placing themselves on. And that's a problem that every human being has shared since that time. And it's a problem that God wants to go about fixing. And so he does so in the Old Testament. We see this play out. First, he, he, he calls a, a nation, Israel, and he begins to work his plan of redemption through them. God is the king of Israel. He is the one on the throne and they are his people. But soon the people say, you know what, we want a, we want a real king. We want a human king like the, like the nations around us. And so God says, okay, if that's what you want. And so he gives them a king. First Saul, who turns out to be no good, and then King David. 
And King David certainly has his shortcomings and his issues, significant shortcomings. And yet we're also told that David is a man after God's own heart. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise to David that the rest of the scriptures go about fulfilling. And in fact, it's fulfilled in our passage here, talked about in our passage here. God tells David, I am going to raise up somebody after you who's going to sit on your throne and rule forever. And I'm going to be to them as a father and he's going to be to me as a son. and He's going to reign with justice and bring peace. And so throughout the whole Old Testament, we're waiting sort of who's going to come. And Solomon comes and, and he doesn't turn out to be that person. The next king comes and the next king comes and the next king comes. And, and, and all of them fall drastically short of this promise that God has made. And we're just left wondering, God, what are you doing? When are you going to bring this, this Messiah, this king to sit on your throne and to rule with justice and to bring peace again? And as the Old Testament goes on, this expectation grows and grows and grows. And we we learn that this person is called the everlasting father, the prince of peace, and the, the king of kings. But then the Old Testament comes to an end and 400 years of silence go by. And we're just left wondering, God, where are you? Where have you gone? Have you forgotten about your promise? Are you not intending to follow through? Where is this king that you've talked about? And then Gabriel shows up to Mary in Nazareth and he brings this announcement, this message, this good news, this gift that's wrapped up and he begins to unfold the gift. And here we get to see the content of it. Let's look again at verses 31 to 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Second Samuel seven, right there. It's this, this longing, this expectation that's been growing. And here we have the fulfillment. The king is coming. This is the announcement. This is the good news. The king is coming. And now as we stand here 2,000 years years later and the news is given to us, the good news for us, the content of that message is the king has come. This is the good news. If we're wondering what is this news that's supposed to make us joyful and, and give us hope and help us to experience peace, this is the news that the king has come. This longing, this expectation that's been growing has now been fulfilled and it's been fulfilled in a way better than we ever could have hoped. God didn't just raise up a king who could rule in justice and bring peace, but he sent his own son. He sent his own son to be born as a baby in Bethlehem to nobody from nowhere. An insignificant start, so it would seem, but the most significant event in all of history, God coming down in human form, taking on flesh, and living among us. As he comes the first time, he doesn't look a whole lot like a king as we see his life. Not a lot of people recognize that this is the king, but we know that that's who he is. And we know that one day he's coming back to reign, to bring the kingdom of God fully to earth, that kingdom that he's already brought in part. So that's the good news for us. 
the king has come. The kingdom of God is here. The, the doors to peace and life and justice have been opened to us. And it's because Jesus came down to earth as a baby. That's where it started. So then we wonder, okay, if, the, if, this, if this is this good news, this good news that's supposed to, to bring us great joy, how are we supposed to respond to this? What is our response? As we, as we open the gift and we see what's inside, how are we supposed to react? Well, let's see how Mary reacts. We see it in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is an amazing response from Mary. We, we, we think about Actually, her, her first response comes a little bit more as Gabriel's giving the message and she's a little bit confused and she says, how is this thing going to happen? And it's different than Zechariah's uh, questioning, which was coming from a place of doubt and like, is, is this really going to be? I, I don't believe it. And Mary's is a little bit more, how? Like, can you, can you fill me in on some more of the details here? And that's what Gabriel does. He says, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and make you conceive and, and this is how you're going to become pregnant. And so then as, as Mary hears that, and it, it's hard to, to put yourself in Mary's position, but just think for a moment about how she would have felt as she hears this news. She learns that she's about to become pregnant by a man who, who she's not engaged to, right? Now, in, in that context, that's a big deal, Right? She, she doesn't know what the consequences of this are going to be. She doesn't know what uh, Joseph is going to do when he finds out. Is he going to break off the engagement? He doesn't, she doesn't know what her parents are going to do. Will they disown her over this? She doesn't know what her community will do. Will they shame her? Will they cast her aside as well? I imagine that there would have been a lot of fear and anxiety that, that, that would have risen up in her. And yet as Mary hears this, that her whole life is about to change and, and not knowing what consequences th that this will have for her life or her reputation, her response is, I'm the servant of the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you've said. What an incredibly humble response. You see, as Mary says this, we realize that humility was not just a position that she was born into, Humility was a robe that she wrapped herself in. Humility was a, a character quality that she had cultivated. As she hears that her whole life is going to change and that there's all of this uncertainty that's in the future for her, her response is, I'm your servant. Lord, I'm your servant. If this is what you're doing, I want to be a part of it. It's a response of humility that, that plays out in two kind of specific uh, aspects in Mary's life. First, she believes that this is going to happen, right? She trusts that this is actually uh, what's going to, to take place. And then she says, I, I want to participate in it. I'm, I, I don't just want to let it happen, but I want to I be your servant. I want to participate and so as we look at the model that Mary gives us, we learn that as, as we unwrap this gift of the good news as well, our response should be the same. We should believe and participate in the good news. As we hear this good news, we, we want to believe it. To believe that, that the king has come is to, like Mary, say, we are your servants. If you are the king, 
We are your servants. And we go back to, to Genesis chapter three to that dethroning of God in our lives. And we say, God, I wanna make you my king again. I wanna put myself off the throne of my life and I wanna put you on. I want to submit myself to, to your lordship, to your kingship. I want to serve you as my king. I wanna believe that this is who you are. But then also to, to participate. When we participate in, in the good news, we participate in the work that God is doing in the world. It's a movement of this belief from our minds down into our hearts and out into our actions. And we say, God, I, I want to cooperate with you. I want to participate in this work that you're doing. You know, one of my greatest joys as a pastor is being able to see you all do this to see the people of God come together and participate in the work that God's been doing in the world. There's a few really cool examples of how this has happened in college and young adults ministry over the last year. One has to do uh, with our college ministry. Uh, about a year ago, John Stallings, who is in YAF, came and said, you know, I, I, I just want to, I feel like there's an opportunity to engage in international student ministry at Stanford. Like, are we doing much there? It's like, well, we're not really doing a whole lot there right now. And so we started to, to pray and John started to reach out to different groups on campus that were doing international student ministry just to see what, maybe how we could get involved with this. And then when we hired Lexi, our college director, uh, a few months after that, she says, you know, one of my passions is international student ministry. I said, okay. And so we started praying and we started exploring what might it look like to be involved in this work that God is doing. And then this past summer, I got a call from somebody named Tasha who was moving from Wisconsin to the Bay Area to start doing international student ministry. And she was wondering if there were any people who might be interested in that, who she could get connected with. I said, yes, absolutely. So she came out and she met John, she met Lexi, and she moved out here just a few weeks ago. And now uh, she's getting ready to start full time with Bridges International, doing international student ministry at Stanford and, and San Jose State. And she's made this church her church home and she wants to help mobilize us to do international student ministry. And so over Thanksgiving, there were a number of families from our church that opened up their home on Thanksgiving and invited international students, mostly unbelieving international students into their home to share the love of Christ with them. That's the work of God. That's participating in the work of God. And if that particular type of work sounds interesting to you, Tasha is actually uh, looking for more people to come alongside her and, and pray for her and support her. And the Yans are hosting a, a lunch or a brunch next uh, Saturday um, to, to meet Tasha and get to hear more about her ministry and how you can partner with her. So if you're interested in that, there's information in the bulletin about how to do that. But uh, as one example of getting involved in the work of God, saying, put me in, right? I don't want to sit on the bench. I want to be involved in the game, God. Put me in. Another one uh, from Yaf. There were a few people right at the beginning of the pandemic and, and even before that who were saying, I want to be more involved in outreach. I want to be sharing the good news with people who don't yet believe. And so they started thinking and praying about how to do that. And then when COVID started, it seemed like, oh, this is going to be a roadblock. But they said, I think it's actually an opportunity. And so they started holding these virtual uh, discussions and events and presentations every couple of weeks where they would tackle these culturally relevant um, topics and, and invite non-believing friends and family and say, hey, let's talk about this together. And we, and we want to just kind of let you know how we think about this as followers of Jesus. 
And so every couple weeks for months, uh, they hosted these events as a way of participating in the work of God in the world. Saying, God, we want to be in the game. We don't just want to sit on the bench. We want to get involved. We want to participate in what you're doing. This Christmas season, one of the ways that we are trying to do this as a church is with these Christmas boxes. An opportunity to bless and invite the people in your lives. To, to say, here's, here's a gift. Just because we love you and God loves you. We want, we want you to have this. We also want to invite you in. We've got something going on on Christmas Eve. We would love to, to have you come join us at PBC and just experience a little bit of what Christmas is like in that context. Right? That's just one small way to say, God, I want to participate. I, w- I want to be a participant in what you're doing. I want to cooperate with you in your work in the world. So I hope that you'll be able to participate in that in that way. So my question for you this morning, two questions, two kind of uh, challenges that I want to leave you with this morning. One is, do you believe? Do you believe the good news? Have you, have you really accepted this good news and submitted your life to Jesus as the king of your life? Do you believe? And second, are you ready to participate? And I know many of us are participating in various ways already, but what's, what's the invitation from the Lord in this season? Where is the place in the game that he might call you to step into and participate, join him in the work that he's doing in the world? So I hope that these questions can be things that you consider and, and think about and pray about with the Lord this Christmas season. I want to invite you to stand and uh, I'm going to pray and, and invite the Lord to maybe put something on our mind uh, as a way of we, that we might move forward with this and also just ask that he would give us that gift of belief. So would you join me in praying? Lord, we thank you for this message, the good news that, that you, Jesus, the King have come, that you left heaven, you came down, you took on flesh and you lived among us. Thank you, Jesus, that you know what it's like to be low, that you, you became low for our sake. Lord, I pray that you would uh, take us from our places of, of being low and broken and you would bring hope and healing as we look to you. Would you give us that gift of belief to really put our trust and faith in you as our Lord and as our King? And Lord, I pray that you might prompt us and stir us on what are the ways that that we might be able to really get involved and and join you in the work that you are doing. God, we know that you are working all around us in ways that we see and ways that we don't see. And it would be our greatest gift this Christmas season to just be able to join you in what you are already doing. So Lord, lead us in this, guide us in this, we pray in Jesus' name.